You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Recently, there was uh, a French woman in France. That would, because she's French, she's in France. I know you guys are, they want you to miss, like, think she was in, like, uh, Louisiana. Or, so that's possible, too, you know, or, or Canada, that's possible. But uh, in France, won the French lottery. And she was so excited that she went out and went on this massive shopping spree, bought a lot of things that she would not have otherwise been able to afford in any way. And, um, and after she had bought it, acquired it, and had a, some things for a little bit, um, they realized that her lottery ticket was off by one digit. Yeah. 46-year-old mom, she's trying to explain this in court because in France you go to court for things like these because she got arrested for fraud. She got arrested and was trying to explain how it was that she, why she went, because she bounced checks all over her region of France. And it was in a, a French newspaper, um, it's called The Laest Republicaine. And uh, the, the newspaper reported that her husband... Uh, was the one who discovered it. He was a little concerned that they weren't receiving their winnings. And she was, you know, how was he going to pay for all this? He was wanting to know when the, when the, the lottery check was going to officially come. And so he went to check it again and realized that they were off by one digit. And it was shortly after that that she got arrested. Um, just a little premature on that shopping spree, ladies, I'm just going to say. You know, as Americans, oftentimes, uh, especially back during the Gulf War, I heard uh, our big thing was, we are not like France, right? Remember, everybody was talking about, we are not like the French. Well, in reality, in life, we're a lot like the French, because the French are a lot like us. We all hope that one day we will hit it big, somehow, some way, some, it could be the lottery, could be some inheritance, could be something, but there's not anybody in here who would say, man, I hope I never hit it big, I hope I never come into any money, I hope I never, right? We're all the same, we all want that, we all want to do that, something like that, it's awesome um, if somehow we were uh, to receive something like that, why? Because all of us want to live a life that does not include worries, that we don't have to worry about things. We don't have to worry about where it's going to come from, or we want a, a life of convenience and a life of pleasure, a life of ease. All of us want that. There's no one that says that sits down every morning and says, Lord, give me a hard life and of inconvenience and pain and suffering. No one says that, right? We all want this. And so if we were to find ourselves in a situation like this woman thought she was in, we would say, in America, we would say, well, we're just blessed, right? We, we would talk about somehow we're living a blessed life. See, the problem is, is that God has a different picture of what a blessed life looks like. That's the reality. Yet still here, and it's in your notes, everyone here wants to live a blessed life, and God desires to bring blessings for us. However, we don't, act, we don't accidentally, kind of like winning the lottery, fall into being blessed. To live the blessed life requires some specific actions. And so this morning, we're starting a new series. And we're going to be talking about a life that God blesses. And we're going to be talking about specifically that uh, we need to make some choices to do that. We're going to be talking over the next three or four weeks, we're going to be talking about living broken. We're going to be talking about living surrendered, living holy, and living grateful. 
And so we're going to be doing that as a part of this greater series because God's values are not the same as man's values. Real life, freedom, and joy are not found in climbing uh, the socioeconomic ladder. I know a lot of people think it is, but it's not. But it's found in humbling ourselves. It's not in being self-sufficient, but it's in our acknowledging our need of God. Matthew 5.3 says this, He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me translate that for you a little bit. It's in other words, it's saying, blessed are those who recognize that they're spiritually destitute without God. Said another way, blessed are those who are broken and dependent upon God rather than relying on their self. See, I often hear Christians talk about brokenness, but we We use it in so many different contexts. We talk about uh, using brokenness to underlie the reason why people sin. Someone might say, well, I struggle with pornography because uh, of the brokenness that I experienced because of this relationship I had with my father or something like that. We use brokenness as a term to uh, describe the result of being sinned against sometimes. We say, you know, I experienced deep brokenness because um, I was emotionally wounded by my mom's rejection or something like that. So we talk about it in, in terms of being sinned against. And then other times when we're talking and using the word brokenness, we use it in terms of uh, a result of this ongoing or enduring some type of suffering. And we say that, well, you know, I had my, my I had three businesses that failed. And so because of that, I'm dealing with a broken and battered self-confidence. We use brokenness in a lot of terms, and so we put this in your notes. The word brokenness is used many different ways today, but as we look at the Bible, brokenness refers to the stripping of self-reliance and living one's life completely dependent on God. It's the daily choice of moving from self-reliance to God-reliance. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. This morning, we want to take our text from Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles or your uh, your phones, your iPads, whatever you're using for your Bible this morning, we want to look at Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In verse 9, as you find your way there, it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus said this to them. He told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself over here and he prayed and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, these robbers and evildoers and adulterers, Or even like this tax collector. Lord, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But it says that the the tax collector stood over here at a distance. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God... Have mercy on me, a sinner. For I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, this is a story of two men 
And both of these men are found in the church at large today. We have the Pharisee. He compared himself to others while the tax collector saw his own crisis. He saw his problem. There are people in the church today and they want to compare themselves to others because it's easier that way. See, we can get a leg up if we compare ourselves to others. But when we compare ourselves to a righteous God, we are clearly positioned where we are. But we want to compare ourselves to others. We want to keep up with the Joneses. We want everyone to get their fair share. I want my fair share. Sometimes we don't want to be bothered by, and you just fill in the blank, whatever that is. And we're like the Pharisee, looking down on others. Now, we wouldn't admit that we do it. We don't say that we do it, but it happens often in the minds. And yet in the church at large, there are other people who are like the tax collector. They don't see themselves as unique, worthy, impressive in any way. See, the Pharisee was self-confident and blind to his great need while the tax collector acknowledged his need and he relied on God. The Pharisee was so confident that he was somehow special or highly favored or had some status with God. But the tax collector, he knew he didn't have a chance. He didn't have a chance except in the mercies of God. And except that God bestow his mercy upon him, he didn't have a chance. And I would tell you that in churches all across this nation, and churches all across this city, we have both of these. The Pharisee, he missed God's blessing while the tax collector discovered God's blessing. See, 1 Peter 5, 5, we put this in your note. It says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, this Pharisee, he went to church. He claimed to know God. The verse says that he tithed regularly. He even fasted weekly. Look, I don't even fast weekly. I take that back. I'm like a friend of mine, another pastor friend of mine, Scott Jenkins. He says that he fasts between every meal. (laughs) I'm with Scott. I fast three times a day. This Pharisee, he fasted. He even led Bible studies. But what he didn't realize is that his lottery ticket was off by one digit. See, he was missing brokenness. He was missing that component to his faith, that component to his walk, and it was going to cost him everything. But the tax collector, in his brokenness, he exhibited humility, he, and, he, and it's the type of humility that garners, that gets the attention of God, because God gives grace to the humble. This morning, as a part of our series, we want to talk about the pathway to brokenness this morning. Because it's on the route. See, the pathway of brokenness is a portion of the route towards living a blessed life. So often, especially as Americans, we think that to walk the path of uh, leading to blessing, that we've got to have a vision. And we talk about, I mean, all the... 
All the rage is to have a vision. Have a vision for your corporation. Have a vision for your life. Have a vision for where you're going. Have a vision for what you want to accomplish. And everybody's talking about a vision. We, you hear all the, all the life coaches say, get a vision for who you're going to be. Get a vision for what you want. Get a vision for your life. Get a vision for where your career is going to take you. Do you have a vision? But see, the pathway according to to God is a pathway of brokenness and on that path we do need a vision but we need to get a fresh vision of God if we get a fresh vision of God that will lead us down the path of brokenness that leads us to the life that God blesses see he he's not looking to um, just bless us because we're good looking or just because we're we live where we do or we have the job that we do or we have the title that we do God's looking for broken and humble people and Galatians 5 says that he he blesses those of us who are humble and I'm going to tell you when we get a fresh vision of God not some self-actualized vision of where we're going but a true vision of God then we'll see ourselves we'll find ourselves in a, a brokenness see Isaiah had a vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah had a vision of God. He got a fresh vision of God and it changed him. It says this. It says that Isaiah had this fresh vision. And when it does, it says that he saw God seated on his throne in heaven. And it goes on to say that God's glory was so long. The the train of his glory was so much that it filled the whole place. We're not talking about some little little robe some little train on a on a on a bride's dress we're not talking about the the train on a king's robe that might go back 10 feet even maybe more we're talking about the glory of god filled the room that wherever he went it was still there he got this vision of god that he'd never seen before no one had ever seen god even moses Moses was in the cleft of the rock and God said that you go there and God covered him with his hand so that Moses couldn't see God. But here's Isaiah and he gets this vision. He gets to see this thing and he goes on to say that there were angels. They were circling in heaven. So they're flying around heaven and they're saying this. They're calling to one another is what it says. It says that they were calling to one another and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So in other words, they're calling to one another. They're not making declarations. They're not trying to give glory and praise to God. It's even the angels see something. They're circling heaven and they see something. I can almost see them pointing down like they're circling around. They want each other to see it. Look, God is in the place and his glory fills it. At the sound of their voices, Isaiah says that the doorposts and the thresholds of heaven shook and that the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah cried out and he said this, he says, woe to me, I am ruined from a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, Isaiah got this fresh vision of who God was and he knew in that moment who he wasn't. He, he got a fresh vision of God and he realized who he was and he, he said, I'm unclean. 
I'm not worthy to be here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be seeing what I'm seeing. But I just saw the God of heaven. He got a fresh vision of God. And in that, it broke him. There was a brokenness. He says that he cried in his brokenness because he got a vision of who God was. See, the closer that we get to God, the more clearly we will see ourselves and how we truly are. And therein lies brokenness. Stripped away of all the fake. You want to talk about fake news? Pretty much everything that we think about ourselves being grand, special, and something is fake news. The ability to clearly see your true self brings the realization that there is a daily acknowledgement. You and I need to daily acknowledge our spiritual need of God. And that's point two today. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says this. He confessed. He said this. He said, what a wretched man I am. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, what a wretched man I am. He admits. He admits to doing things that he shouldn't. And not doing things that he should. The Apostle Paul. Can anybody else relate to that? I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a real question. So get ready for an answer. This is the interactive portion of our sermon. Would you be ashamed of me as your campus pastor if you knew that every day I have to ask God to help me live in a way that would be pleasing to him that would be alignment to his word because here's the truth of the matter I can't do it by myself would you be ashamed of your campus pastor to know that it's a real question Does does anyone here think that on my own, that I should be able to do that, that I can do that, that I should be able to do that? Do you think, do you think that God gets annoyed and frustrated with my weakness and my inability to just get it and just, just do it? If that's true, then here's the questions that I have for you. Then why do some of you think that you can do it on your own? And why do some others of you think that God is frustrated with you because you can't do it on your own? We have to come to this place where we simply acknowledge, God, I can't do this. I can't be the pastor that these people need every day. God, I can't be the husband that this amazing woman over here deserves every day. God, I I haven't even been really a good friend to a few people this week. I told them that I would call them, and I got busy and I didn't. 
why do we try to do this on our own? We have to come to this place where we spiritually acknowledge our need of God to live this life, to, to, to be everything that he wants us to be, to experience the fullness of all that he has for his people. We have to acknowledge this everyday need. And so finally, if that's true, then the pathway of brokenness requires that we consistently confront self-promotion and self-reliance in our own lives. This is a huge problem for us. This is a huge problem as citizens of the United States. Why? Because everything we watch, everything we read, everything we hear says that it's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I like. It's all about what I desire. It's about all I should be able to have. I mean, my goodness, we have been the Burger King generation. You can have it. You can have it your way for decades. Right? They've just been pouring that in. You can have it your way, any way you want. You know, it's like now it's, I mean, everything online. It's like, what color do you want? What, you know, what, what shape do you want? What, what pattern do you want? My daughter Celia worked the furniture mark this past uh, couple of weeks ago. She said there were people from all around the world coming there, and all they did is they would just walk around and say, I like that chair, and I would like it in paisley, and I like that chair, and I would like it in green, and right? And they just, it's what we want. It's a huge problem that we have. We've become self reliant, we've become self promoted. Why? Because it's all about us. As a nation, we're self-reliant. We have everything we need. And what's more, we have it in the forms of convenience. Listen, a lot of the world today is getting up, the, got up today, and they had to grab a bucket and walk somewhere to get water. You and I just walk over and turn the knob. We are self-reliant people. We have so many things in convenience. There are people this morning, you got up and you just went to your fridge and maybe broke open some eggs. If you actually went to cook anything, you might have just had cereal. You might have just came and had some of this amazing cake over here this morning. But the reality is, is that there are people today that got up and went out to a hen house somewhere and got eggs before they could make them. If a snake hadn't already gotten the eggs before they got there. And if it did, then they're hungry this morning. There are people in this world that are living the things that we take as convenience and and readily because we're so self-reliant. We are a nation that says we can do anything, we can accomplish anything, and we've poured that into our people, we've poured that into our culture, and we become self-reliant. Even the people in this nation who would be what we would call, the government calls under the poverty line, they're still richer. Do you realize that the poorest American is already in the top 5% of the wealth of the world? Why? We're self-reliant. And so we have to fight against this idea of being that I can do anything, that we can, we're self-reliant, we can get what, and have what we, what we want. We have to fight that. It impacts who we are as individuals. It impacts our reality. I mean, think about this. Why do I need to risk praying for healing if that might happen, right? And even the fact that we would think that with our little hands doing that like that there. Why would we even risk praying for healing 
I'll just go to the doctor, right? We're, we're self-reliant as a nation, as a people, as a culture. Why do I have to risk uh, praying for provision? You know, I'll, I'll, work, I'll work a few more hours. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the bank. I'll borrow a loan. I'll pick up a second job. I, why do I have to be reliant on God for provision? I'll just do a little more, right? That's self-reliance. That's self-reliance. Why do I need to even consider the idea that there is such a thing as divine wholeness for my mind and my emotions? I can just go get a prescription. Or I can go see a counselor. And I'm not shooting down any of those things. But what I'm telling you is we have become reliant on ourselves as a culture in America. And we have not become reliant on God. But when we get a fresh vision of who God is... And when we come to the place that we recognize that without him we have spiritual needs, then we have to fight this idea of self-reliance and self-promotions. Listen, God has to be our source. God has to be our reality. God has to be the one on whom you and I rely on. Galatians 2.20 says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, describing new life. And he goes on to say, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It doesn't say that this new life I live, I now make my own way in Christ. He says, I live this new life in God and I live it by faith. I live it in reliance on him. I live it fighting this idea that I can do it all on my own. If we want to live a life that God blesses, we have to live a life of humility. And we have to live a life of brokenness. We have to be to consistently confront this. As well as this, any propensity that we might have to promote ourselves. Coming to conclusion. Kristen, you can come. In God's kingdom... The way up is down. The way to blessedness is through brokenness. But I'm going to tell you, brokenness starts with a fresh vision of God. And I heard this yesterday morning at our men's breakfast. It wasn't stated this way, but our speaker, he shared the questions that he's been wrestling with God about. He shared that God, he said, God, are, is this all that there is? This idea of working 12 hours a day, six days a week, and then going to church on Sunday. Is that, is that all this is about? There has to be more that you intend for this existence. And at the core of what he was saying was a spiritual hunger. Indirectly, he was asking God, God, this is what I see, but I need a fresh vision of what you really intend. That's at the core of what he was asking. He was acknowledging, God, if this is all it is, I need more. I need more of you. I needed something different. And he was acknowledging that his there wasn't a path of self-reliance wasn't going to get him to where he thinks that God intends for us to live. And I'm just going to tell you something. He isn't alone. On Wednesday mornings, 
This past Wednesday morning, we had one of the most incredible men's Bible studies. It's not just one man asking these questions. There are men in this church that are asking these questions of our lives and our families, of our jobs, and of our community. Why? Because we believe that there is more. And if if this is it, it isn't enough. We want to see who God really is, who he intends to be. What's the power that he says that is available to us to pray for the sick and to see them healed, to pray for those who are oppressed and to see them set free, to speak life and to see men and women come and their lives be transformed by the gospel. Not on Sunday mornings by the preacher. Yes, he's good looking, but that isn't enough. It's because we want to see our community impacted. We don't want to just go move this congregation to a new building. We want to see this congregation, this body of Christ, truly be who he is. And to impact this community in a way that it transforms Statesville. Listen, Azusa Street Revival started in a little, little country church. It wasn't a big place. It wasn't a mega church. It was a little tiny place. People got hungry for God and they got a fresh vision of what they believed God could do. And I'm telling you, if we get a fresh vision in our brokenness of who God is and we put ourselves in proper order as to where he is and where we are, that's not to belittle us. That's just to say he's that much better. When we do that, then we begin to see what God wants to do in us and through us. And we, it's much easier to combat this whole idea that we're self-reliant. Because I'm going to tell you what, it's so much easier when I pray for people, when I speak to people, and I see God do something in their lives, it's really easy for me to go home and say, God, you're amazing. But when I'm trying to figure it out all on my own and I'm trying to make a plan and i got to figure out what it is and, I've, and I get to the end of the day and I've accomplished my little check boxes and I've done all those things, it's so easy for me to say, well, way to go, Paul. You did awesome today. Right? But when I get a fresh vision of who God is and I remember where I am, so when I wake up in the morning that I'm, I'm headed out the door and say, God, I'm headed out again into your day. There's a commercial on TV Susan, what's that commercial with the welcome mat? L.L. Bean. Watch your L.L. Bean commercials. That guy, the dad, goes and he grabs the welcome mat. He pulls it inside. He flips it around. He sets it in, on the inside. And so that the kids, whenever, right, when they're headed out, they say welcome. And they welcome to this great adventure. Listen. Go home today. Turn around your welcome mats and put them on the inside. It's so that when you get up tomorrow morning, that you... You, you're going to welcome yourself into everything that God wants to let you see and do, right? And you'll remember that as you walk out that door, He's God. And we're not, right? And in our brokenness, He does the most amazing things. This is not limited To a speaker at a men's breakfast. It's not limited to a few men who sit at this table on a Wednesday morning and are pondering these great things for God. It's not limited to any one person, any, anybody because they've got some title on their business card. This 
this life of brokenness, this life of blessing, this life of seeing God do all that he does is available to each of us. Regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of anything else, what we do, what we don't do. But it begins. It begins with brokenness when we get a fresh vision of who God is. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm just going to go ahead and ask our, before I close this in prayer this morning, I'm just going to go ahead and ask that our prayer teams would find their place this morning. If you need prayer before you leave here, then um, don't leave without letting someone pray for you. But I want to pray over us this morning that we would live a life that God would bless and it would begin with brokenness. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you for the privilege to be in this place. God, with these people. God, my family. God, we believe that you have so much in store for this congregation. God, there is a future that still yet awaits. But God, we don't want to do it in our own reliance, in our own arrogance, in our own plans, in our own strength. God, we want to see who you are. And we want to see, God, the the position that where we are, God, that you are high above and lifted up. And that you are holy over not just this congregation in our lives, but over this city. And so, God, today I pray that you would give each of us a fresh vision. And I don't know what each person uh, is dealing with. God, I don't know what the circumstances of every life in this room are. But, God, you do. And so, God, I pray that you would allow us to see who you are in the midst of our lives. And, God, that you would give us a great vision for what you want to do through our lives. God, this morning I bless these, your people. And I send them off. Lord, down the path of brokenness towards a life of blessing. And in your favor, we pray this today in Christ's name. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.